Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. It is June 8th, and, you know, I was thinking the other day, how crazy is it that we have been tethered to our homes in quarantine for almost three full months now? Uh, I just got to thinking about it. It was back in mid-March at some point uh, when, when all of this hit, and here it is getting close to the middle of June. Right. I mean, it's still obviously the eighth, so it's still a week or so away, but almost three months in quarantine. Uh, Pretty crazy being stuck in your house. It's, you know, that's when you think about it, that's almost an entire summer uh, for a student being locked up in your house and not being able to go outside and just live kind of your normal life. Uh, In fact, I still haven't eaten at a restaurant uh, yet. I know some friends of ours went out to a restaurant where they were seating at 25% capacity or 50% or something like that. And, you know, they posted on Instagram, look, our first uh, meal back at a restaurant. Uh, But I still have not done that. So it is a crazy world we're living in for sure. Um, And that kind of moves right into our minute of transparency. So this morning I wanted to just throw it out there. How are you doing with concentration? Are you able to concentrate or um, not? So for me, um, I've noticed it's just been a little more difficult lately to concentrate. And mainly that is during the workday. You know, we're working from home, so things are definitely different, uh, at least for me. Uh, I don't have an office, so I can't go into a room and shut a door. Uh, it's that whole thing where I'm sitting in the living room working at my computer. Um, if I need to be on a call, uh, it either works out okay, and I do it here, or I'm having to find another room where it's quiet and I can't shut the door. Uh, but, you know, the more I got to think about it, uh, the more I got to realize that as intelligent beings, we are capable of multitasking, right? Not the, not the kind of multitasking that you hear people boast about. Uh, you know, when people say, you know, I can type an email, I can listen to my kids, and I can watch the day show all at the same time. That's a crock. And if you are doing any of those things or all of those things, you surely aren't doing all of them well, right? Each one is getting a limited piece of you in the process. However, uh, we are capable of some level of multitasking, um, but it's I would refer to it more as having routines and processes that allow you to do certain things on autopilot. So, for example, when you brush your teeth in the morning or, or um, get dressed or you blow dry your hair, you know, those are things that you've done so many times, you can almost do them without thinking. Uh, and when you're doing them, obviously you're your brain is able to then do other things pretty well, even while you're doing that, Uh, you know, concentrate on a TV show, 
um, you know, just various things that you would do while you were brushing your teeth or whatever. Um, now the scary thing is you notice this even when you're driving home from work some days, right? So think back three months ago when you were actually driving to work. Um, you know, we've all had those moments where we, we realize that we haven't been paying attention for the last two or three miles. And yet we're still driving and we're on the correct route home. This is because we've taught our brains a routine or a process, right? This allows us to complete these activities without having to really process every little bit and piece of the, the process. So what happens when, um, or I should say, this happens as well when you're learning a new job or when you're at work, right? When you first start a job, uh, you know, it's not it's not easy to concentrate, right? You have to, you have to really force yourself to um, concentrate in order to learn the new job and to build processes and build routines into your day. But over time, you get more and more comfortable, and um, you know the different elements of your job come easier. And over time, you've done them so well, you get to the point where you can almost do some of them without thinking. And certain things go on autopilot, and you're just able to knock them out quickly and efficiently. Now, this is a good thing, right? And it has very two important byproducts. First, it allows you to decrease your stress. So you're able to do more things quickly without thinking. And that means you're able to knock more things off your list, and so there's less to worry about. Second, you're also freed up to be more innovative and to take on more responsibility. And as you start to feel that initial burden slip away, you're able to start thinking about new tasks and learning new things, which actually makes you a better employee. So why did I bring this up? Well, because I feel that this natural process has just been hijacked because of the world and what's going on around us. So, you know, one minute we're trucking along, trucking through life, able to navigate the complexity of our routines, of our processes, you know, and then all of a sudden the bottom dropped out. So the other night, my wife and I were talking about, you know, just all of the chaos that seemed to be happening all at once, you know, and for some reason we were having the conversation right, right while we were watching, I think, you know, the local news. And, you know, so we kind of talked through how, you know, we've been dealing for dealing with a COVID-19 thing now for, like I said, almost three months. You know, we've been in quarantine, we've had to shelter in place, we've had to social distance. We have, you know, for quite a bit of that time, we were supposed to stay off the beach, we were supposed to use curbside pickup, all of these things, right? We basically had to learn an entirely new way of living in a very short period of time. Then, in the middle of all that, uh, came the senseless, racially motivated murders of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, which then threw the entire country into a new whirlwind, right? A, a new form of chaos. Protests, riots, looting, property damage, fires, graffiti, violence, arrests, uh, the National Guard being deployed, uh, you know, 6 p.m. curfews, and in some places even a 1 p.m. curfew. Uh, and, and in the midst of all that, you know, we're sitting there just thinking through all of that stuff going on in our world. And then the news switched over to a vehicle chase in progress. Really? <laughs> at that point, we just look at each other like, oh my goodness, 
this is insane. What's next? You know, um, you know, at, at that point we're like, the, the only thing left is for some major natural disaster to happen, an earthquake or a tsunami or something, you know, why, why not just do it all at once and get it out of the way? Right. Well, interestingly enough, a few days later, um, I think it was on maybe Tuesday of last week or Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday of last week. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting uh, there working on my computer and sure enough, boom, earthquake 5.5, um, which was actually crazy enough. It was an aftershock from a 7.1 that happened. Oh, I don't know, like 11 months ago. I'd never even heard of that, that you could have an aftershock, um, up to almost a year away from the actual occurrence. So yeah, it's a crazy time. And I, and I think that that's why it's been a little hard to concentrate, at least for me. Um, here's a, here's another way to illustrate it. Let's say that your teenager has just learned how to drive and they're out driving your car and they've been driving for a little while, you know, so they've, they've built up their routines and their processes on some level. Uh, but then, you know, they turn on the radio, right? It's a song they like and they turn it up. So you have a little bit of distraction going on there. Then let's say, let's put a couple friends in the car, friends who are in good moods, friends who want to sing along at the top of their lungs to the song, right? Another distraction. Now let's say we change the time of day to dusk. So the sun is on the horizon and it's shining in through the windshield right above the height of the steering wheel. Another distraction. Now let's say we start to have it drizzle a little bit and the windshield, you know, wipers kind of smear the dust in the dirt on the windshield and you get this film and you can't really see through it super well. Uh, slightly bigger distraction, right? And then finally, let's say that the alternator has been broken for a little while and it's starting to go out. And so the electronics in the car are starting to fade. The radio is starting to decrease in volume and the dashboard is starting to dim. Even larger distraction, right? See my point? One minute, you're driving, you're almost on autopilot, right? You're doing a great job. The next minute, all of a sudden, with all of the distractions, uh, it becomes a very forced process, right? It becomes very difficult. And so in situ situations like these, you know, suddenly things aren't getting done quickly anymore. They aren't being done on autopilot, and we start to experience the opposite of the two things we talked about above. So first our stress level starts to rise, right? Because it's taking longer to do things and we keep getting distracted. So we aren't really checking things off our list as quickly. Second, we're not able to innovate. We're not able to learn new things and get ahead. We're simply treading water, just trying to keep up, get things done. And that's really the world that we find ourselves in today, or at least I find myself in. I don't know about you. I don't know how you're doing, but hopefully, if you're in a similar place, you've been able to, you know, quickly adapt to this new reality we find ourselves in. And, and hopefully you're working on new routines and new processes, um, that'll help get you through. All right, cool. All right, let's jump into the topic for today. So we've, you know, we've covered quite a bit of ground in the first, uh, five basic assumptions, right? Uh, we've, we've talked through things like, you know, that the controversy exists. We've talked about our participation in the controversy. We've talked about the big three questions that everyone needs to ask. Um, we talked about worship and we've talked about rules and regulations. Um, but really we're, we're getting to the heart of the, 
the meat of the thing right now. So we're really we're getting to the place where we're going to start fleshing out the controversy between God and Satan. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the battle, um, about the tools that they use, or the weapons they use in the battle, and, and really what their game plans are uh, in this world. So today's basic assumption, God's game plan, rescue mission. All right, we're going to talk through a, a number of different things, uh, an introduction to the battle, just kind of a recap. Um, true love equals freedom of choice. Then we're going to talk about the rescue mission itself. And then we're going to remind all of ourselves that our vote has eternal consequences. All right, an introduction to the battle. So in a previous episode, we talked about heaven, God, Lucifer, the angels, uh, the fact that there was a war in heaven. Uh, you know, we talked about Lucifer being cast down to the earth um, after the war had ended. So we don't really need to go all the way back and start over there, but let's let's start in the Garden of Eden. So, you know, right after God had created the earth and he placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, um, placed them in this beautiful, amazing um, land or world with so many amazing things for them to see and do, uh, you know, and and he placed the tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in the mid- middle of the garden, and that was, you know, what we've talked about as the voting booth, the original voting booth where they they eventually made that unfortunate decision, that defining moment for all of humanity, Right. So it was literally the one thing that changed the course of history for humankind, right? One minute we were perfect beings, being able to walk, talk, and laugh with our creator. The next minute we had the sin virus, right? God, God retreated, kind of stepped back. Uh, we were banished from the perfect garden uh, that he had created for us, and we were never the same again. Uh, the other thing that happened that day uh, is that the battle between God and Satan took on a whole new level of meaning, right? So God and Lucifer had fought in heaven, but now God and Satan would battle here on earth. And now that Satan had found a, a way to inject the sin virus into the world, he had a leg up. So now every human being born uh, into this world comes pre-injected with the sin virus, right? Infected before they were even aware of the fact that the battle existed. And this still exists today. So this makes it 100% easier for Satan, right? As he's currently the temporary ruler of this earth, he is the winner by default. Unless we learn that there is another choice we can make. Unless we can, you know, figure out the fact that, that Satan is not the only option. Um if, if we don't learn this, right, if, if we live oblivious to the fact that there's a controversy, we'll simply live up to the low bar that Satan has set for us. So before we go any further, there's a couple of concepts we should really talk through. Uh, something we haven't really touched on um, in the past, and, and this is, you know, we've talked a lot about God and Satan uh, being involved in this battle for our allegiance, but one thing we haven't really talked a lot about is angels and demons. So, Remember back in heaven, uh, you know, there was a whole host of angels that, that lived in heaven and served God and worshiped God. Uh, well, when Lucifer found that sin, that little seed of sin in his heart, he started to spread it around. 
And eventually he convinced a third of the angels to rebel against God with him. So these angels followed Lucifer into battle, and they ended up losing the war in heaven and were banished uh, with Lucifer to earth. So Lucifer was banished to earth and became known as Satan. And along with him, this entire host of angels um, were banished with him and became what we call now as demons, right? So, so it isn't just God fighting against Satan for our allegiance. There are also angels fighting against demons for our allegiance. Now, this is kind of mind-blowing when you really think about it, right? So think about the fact that we as humans are living our lives in our uh, physical three dimensions, here on earth and that just outside of that third dimension in a in a realm that we can't really see but is actually there you know there are there are angels and demons fighting against each other um, just just outside that dimension um, for our allegiance right some some there to do us harm and others there to protect us from that harm it's just crazy to think about. And, you know, this is one of the things that Satan does not want us to understand, right? And he's done a masterful job trying to hide this truth. So he's worked super hard to push the idea that God doesn't exist, first of all. You know, and, and he's he's okay if he can get you to think that he doesn't exist too. You know, he's actually tried to downplay the fact that there are angels or demons, that he exists or that God exists. In fact... Uh, you know, he's even tried to get us to believe that they're just simply cartoon characters from kids' movies, right? So we, you know, we look at Satan as the little the little red devil that sits on your shoulder and tries to get you to do something bad. Um, you know, crazy how he's kind of manipulated that in society um, to get us to believe that and really discount him for how powerful he really is. So you see how dangerous that is, how dangerous he can be. Uh, if he can get us to stop believing that he exists or that God exists or that the battle exists, then he can really get us to stop believing that there's a reason to vote in an eternal election. And if he can get us to forget about that, then he has us. Next, we have the tools uh, or the weapons that God and Satan use in the battle. So spoiler alert, I'm going to I'm going to tell you today what they are, but we're not going to really flesh them out until later. So these weapons are super important, right? Each of us, uh, each of those weapons will have its own basic assumption and its own episode on the podcast. But drum roll, um, the weapons that are used in the, in the controversy are our conscience and temptation. So God's weapon in the battle is our conscience and Satan's weapon in the battle is temptation. Now you know, so let's move on uh, and learn more about God's game plan. So controversy theory theory refers to God's game plan as a rescue mission. So the, the first order of business is probably to answer the question, why do we need rescued? So back to the beginning we go. Um, you know, we've, we've talked through the concept of creation and God creating us, which makes us his kids, right? We're his pride and joy. You can kind of think of it like us having kids and the love and the bond that exists between a parent and a child. That relationship existed in the beginning in the most perfect way, right? God was able to walk and talk and laugh with us. 
Uh, he was able to teach us new things and, you know, basically be everything we needed him to be. And in return, we were able to worship him. Not like we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, in our episode on worship. Uh, you know, we were able to worship him by simply being his kids and being around him, uh, by being in relationship with him and asking him questions and laughing at his jokes. You know, in my estimation, that's the perfect expression of worship and just choosing to be with someone uh, and spend time with them. But when you really boil it down, the reason why this was worship was because of one little thing called freedom of choice. Number two, true love equals freedom of choice. So with freedom of choice, the real issue is that we had the right not to walk, talk, and laugh with God. If we really wanted to, we could choose not to be in that situation. Even, even though we didn't really fully understand what it meant at the time, right? We, we had the right not to call God our creator, We could turn and walk the other way and choose not to spend time with him if we really wanted to. The whole whole concept of freedom of choice is just brilliant. Uh, You know, controversy theory also refers to freedom of choice as the anti-robot clause. Uh, You know, because God knew that without the freedom to choose against him, we would simply, he would simply be creating robots or artificial intelligence programmed to love him. And that doesn't inspire anyone, right? Uh, We know that love is not love without a choice. Let me say that again. We know that love is not love without a choice. And unfortunately, we made that choice, right? We we said, oh, we have a choice? Oh, well, I'm going to try the opposite and see what happens. And, you know, with a lot of help from Satan, of course, you know, he walked Adam and Eve right into his trap using temptation and influencing them, strongly influencing them uh, to choose against God. In essence, he stole us away from the creator. Now, we made the choice, right? But knowing what we know now, do you really think we would have made the same choice? Let's illustrate with a very terrible scenario, all right? This is a scenario that would bring uh, fear to the heart of any parent. So let's say your six-year-old child is playing in the neighborhood. A white van pulls up with no windows. An older gentleman gets out and starts talking to your child. He's friendly. He knows all the right things to say. He offers your kid candy. Then he offers your kid a ride home because he knows your parents has, or he says, you know, your parents have asked me to bring you home. So your kid gets into the van with the older man And that's where I'll stop because every parent knows that it doesn't end well after that. In fact, there's a knot forming in the pit of your stomach right now just thinking about it. But friends, don't turn this podcast off just because of a knot in your stomach. Stop what you're doing and feel that feeling. It's terrible, right? I mean, it hasn't even happened, and yet you're having this intense physiological reaction just to the thought of it. Because you know if that happened to you, and if that happened to your child, it would probably be one of the worst things that you would ever go through in your life, right? And that's exactly what God experienced with us, right? He sat there and watched Satan slither up next to his children. He had to watch Satan smooth talk them into his white van, and he had to watch Satan carry them far away from home, far from safety, and far from the perfect environment that he had created for them. Uh, 
Why? All because of freedom of choice. God could have snapped his fingers right then and there and made Satan disappear. But in so doing, he would have destroyed the one thing that makes his love real. Love is only love with a choice. And so we were stolen from God, right? I mean, we can, we can just say it that way. We were stolen from God. Just like that, we could no longer walk, talk, and laugh with our Creator. We knew He was there, uh, but it wasn't the same. We now faced lives impacted by the sin virus. Hardship, pain, suffering, fear, anxiety, depression, anger. All of these new elements we would come to understand very well. But freedom of choice doesn't mean that God has to sit back and let things play out the way Satan wants them to. I mean, God is allowed to fight for us. This doesn't negate our freedom of choice. It simply makes it all the more clear that our freedom of choice, our vote in the eternal election, is important. Number three, the rescue mission. So this is where the rescue mission comes into play. Right? God created us, so technically we belong to him. I know that sounds a little strange, but just think of it in the same way as you consider your kids belonging to you. Right? You, you created them, and so they're yours. And when you lose something or when something is taken from you, you go look for it. Right? You want to rescue it from its lostness or rescue it from the one who stole it from you. And this is what God has set out to do, only not in the way you would expect. Right? In our world, if, if something, especially a child, was lost or taken, uh, you know, we would call the police and we would send the police and they would do what they were taught to do, right? They would follow leads, they would follow the evidence, and if or when they found your child, they would be prepared to use deadly force to get your child back for you. But God, uh, you know, still following or still allowing this concept of freedom of choice, has chosen another path. So he sent his son, Jesus, to initiate the rescue mission. Jesus came to earth as a baby, just like us, but because he was God and born here on earth, he has what we call dual citizenship. Very similar to me, so my parents were from Canada and I was born in the United States, so I was born with dual citizenship. I was a product of both countries, if you will, and because of this, I had access to the rights and the privileges of both countries. And so it is with Jesus, right? He was 100% human and 100% God. I know the math doesn't really work up or work out correctly in that scenario, but just understand that that's the way it was. And what Jesus did on earth was very important. You know, there were many things he did, but at least these two uh, we need to talk about because of how important they are. So first, Jesus lived the perfect life, sinless, free from the sin virus, asymptomatic, uh, not immune to it. Um, he didn't receive a vaccine or an antidote to protect him from it. But being God, he was able to be born without the sin virus. And then as an adult, he remained so connected to his father in heaven that he was able to choose the right thing in every situation he faced, living the perfect life. And second, he died after living the perfect life. Now, not just a death that ended his life, but a death that he chose, actually. A, a death that he freely gave in to for us. Ultimately, he allowed himself to be killed in order to create the antidote to the sin virus. So if you were to create a mathematical equation to describe this fact, it would look something like this. 
perfect life plus death equals antidote to the sin virus. Now, that sounds a little good to be too good to be true, right? But we know that it's true. And how do we know it's true? Because God gave this to his people, the Israelites. He gave this as an illustration long before Jesus ever even came to earth. In order to be right with God, they were told to do the following. Take a perfect lamb, place your hands on it and pray and place your sins on the perfect lamb and then kill the lamb as an offering or a sacrifice to God. You see that same equation in there? Perfect lamb plus death equals the antidote to the sin virus. You know, and it's no coincidence that Jesus is called the perfect lamb of God in the Bible. Number four, our vote has eternal consequences. So that's God's game plan. Uh, He initiated this rescue mission through his son, Jesus, and Jesus executed the plan perfectly. When Jesus died, or allowed himself to be killed, as we discussed, the mission was successful. Not complete, but successful. It wasn't complete until Jesus, having died and been placed in a tomb for three days, was raised from the dead. This made the rescue mission complete. It showed that God has the power over death. It showed that death doesn't have to be the end, and that Jesus dying on the cross was the antidote for the sin virus. So there it is, the answer to the sin problem. Jesus is the antidote to the sin virus. Now, God didn't come and forcibly take his children back, right? He didn't come find us, kill Satan, and then take back what was rightfully his. No, instead he came and created an antidote and he made it available to anyone who wants it. Back to freedom of choice, right? Love is not love without a choice. And God is still honoring that freedom even today. We have the antidote to the sin virus, and it's free, and it's available to everyone, but we have to choose it. It has to be something that we purposefully choose for our own lives. Now, we've talked about this concept in in many different ways, right? But mainly we've talked about it as being a vote in an eternal election. So technically, Satan owns us by default, right? As he is the temporary ruler of this planet, he gets to call us his people. That is, until we realize that there's an eternal election. Once we become aware of that fact, we have the ability to exercise our freedom of choice. We can either keep things the way the way they are, uh, go with the status quo, or we can change our vote and we can actually choose for God. And in choosing God, we accept the antidote to the sin virus, which was made possible by Jesus. But let's talk about it uh, a bit more, this whole concept of the antidote. So it's important to understand that Jesus died for every human being on the planet. When he did that, every human being from the beginning of time to the end of time um, has has been able to take advantage of that antidote. However, the antidote isn't applied to our lives automatically, right? Again, this would make the whole freedom of choice concept obsolete. What I find interesting is that our freedom of choice is actually the most threatened by Satan, right? So we don't get to choose if we want the sin virus, right? We're simply born with it. That's not freedom of choice. Um, but the antidote, the antidote to the sin virus is not forced. It's a gift that we must accept. 
So let's talk through an interesting illustration you know, related to this whole gift idea. So let's, let's pretend that your parents bought you a brand new car for your 16th birthday. They hid the car so it would be a surprise. They wrapped the key in a box and they gave it to you as a gift. But let's say that you took the gift and you said thank you and you placed it on a shelf and never opened it. And so you lived out the rest of your life with that pretty box on your shelf. You walk by it once in a while and you smile thinking, what a nice gift they bought me. And all the while that car is still sitting in hiding, never being driven. We laugh because it's absurd, right? We all know that the gift isn't actually the gift. You have to open it and accept what's inside. But in essence, that's what people are doing all the time with the antidote to the sin virus. Jesus is offering us this beautiful gift. And we look at it and we say, wow, that's really nice. That's pretty. And we put it on a shelf and we look at it once in a while. But we don't open it and we don't accept the gift that's actually the gift inside. Friends, I can't stress it enough. No matter how we choose to illustrate it, whether it's accepting the antidote to the sin virus, choosing God in the controversy, voting for God in the eternal election, uh, this is the single most important thing you will ever do in your lifetime. Because of your vote in the eternal election, it will have eternal consequences. Let's land the plane. So this week, uh, you know, where do you stand on the whole controversy thing? Are you all in? Do you believe? Do you believe that there's a battle between God and Satan? Do you believe that there are angels and demons fighting over you? Do you fully understand the power you have in your freedom of choice? And that with great power comes great responsibility, to use a Spider-Man phrase. Uh, you know, this responsibility piece is, is to accept the antidote to the sin virus, to make your choice in the controversy, or to vote in the eternal election. And my question for you is, have you done this yet? If not, um, you know, please reach out to us at info at transcendhuman.com and you know, request our free download called My Choice in the Controversy. Uh, it's a PDF download. It just kind of walks you through the process of voting in the eternal election. I uh, would love to get that out to you. Uh, next week, we'll continue in our, in our little mini-series part of the uh, controversy theory. Um, we'll learn a little bit more about God's game plan in the seventh basic assumption uh, called Every Person Has a Conscience. Again, if you're enjoying this series on controversy theory, uh, tell a friend or family member, shoot them an email, post uh, about us on social media, uh, give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and we will keep this thing going. All right, thanks again for being with us, everyone, and until next time, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, there's nothing better than word of mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.